0: This episode is brought to you by Block Damon. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode, but now on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition on the, of On the Margin. I am joined, as always, by my energetic co-host, Mr. Mark Yuskow. What's uh, going on, Mark?
1: energetic it is, and, and just to prove that, I'm going to jump up on the stool, do the sock reveal right away. I have the orange pants on because I later today am doing a podcast with the originator of the orange pants, Adam Draper. Nice. But today, I have the... Uh, you know, Bitcoin on ice, you know, the cold mm. storage. I've used them in the past for crypto winter. And yes, we are still in crypto winter and it's going to be with us for a while. But today it's really about the fact that a lot of Bitcoin are coming off exchange and going in cold storage. Mm. And the, the other piece about that is if you don't have some of that, you need to. Mm. What's going on in the world today is is... Nothing short of crazy with the with the fiat system. Just look at the yen. Uh, since we were together last week, it's it's gone ballistic again. And some bad stuff is coming down the pike. So you need to have a little bit, not a lot. You need to have a little bit on a ledger, on a treasure somewhere uh, that that is your running money. So.
0: Yeah, what do you think about the whole Bitcoin moving on and off exchange thing, right? Because there's that whole like there's accumulation, there's selling, and the, yeah. but I mean there's there's a whole element of that which is just collateral management as well. I, I feel like it's a bit of an overused metric.
1: A hundred percent. In the early days, it was a great metric. Yeah. Uh, today, to your point, it's it's not very useful at all. I think most of the on-chain stuff that people tout uh, is is lived its outlived its useful life. And, yeah. and it's because as markets mature, to your point, other products now uh, get involved and there's collateral. You know, like there was a story this morning about the guy who took a loan out against his Bitcoin to buy his mom a house. And, and that, that kind of stuff is going to, to happen. And it, it reminds me, you know, I was growing up in the business, you know, there were no computers. And then we all got computers. And, and then there was this big thing about earnings estimates, and if you could, could get earnings estimates before everyone else, you know, you, you'd have an edge. And so Zacks, this company, came out and created earnings estimates, and they you know, conglomerate or you know, accumulated all the, the estimates from around, and they posted it. And for a while, it was actually pretty useful. And if you subscribe to them... But then everyone could get the earnings estimates right from everybody. Well, then it moved to the whisper number. So you couldn't actually have the estimate. You had to have what they really thought. Um, So the insider stuff. But in the end, once an indicator, it was like stock to flow. I I love the construct of stock to flow. But once everyone was using the same model, the model becomes less useful. That's that's Mm -hmm. true of any model.
0: Yeah. I think it's just a sign that the market is uh, getting more complex and maturing yeah. in general. Yep. Right. So a lot of stuff that worked at the beginning, just not going to work anymore. Yep. I've um, got a lot of uh, kind of macro stories to, to get into today. Um, I actually want to start, I want to jump out of order a little bit. I'm going to share my screen here because we were just getting into this before. We got to talk about Bill Wang. So th- this is actually the the title of the slide is what was Bill <laughs> Wang thinking? Uh, and this is the title of a uh, a Matt Levine piece that he wrote. I mean, first of all, nobody does it like Matt Levine. Um, But for those of you who, um, you know, just a little refresher, Bill Wang, uh, you know, he was an early disciple of uh, Julian Robertson. Uh, You know, he ran this fund Archegos, right, which famously got Credit Suisse into a lot of trouble, right, with just this unbelievable amount of risk they were taking. It's got to be about a year ago. Yeah. Okay. March of 2021. (laughs) Look at some of these statistics. Are absolutely wild. He's now being charged uh, with with market manipulation, you know, a felony offense. Yeah. Um, right. For example, here's listen to some of these stats. For example, by late March of 2021, Arkigo's cumulative cash, equity, and derivative SBS exposure to the following issuers equated to the following percentage of outstanding shares. GSX, over 70% of outstanding shares. Discovery Class A, 60% of outstanding shares. IQ, IUI, over 50% of outstanding shares. And then look at the exposure that they were taking as well. As of January 1st, 2021, Archegos had approximately $7.7 billion in invested capital on gross exposures of $54 billion. And as of March of 2021, Archegos had over $36 billion in invested capital on over $160 billion in gross exposures. Now, I'm like... These numbers just absolutely blow my mind. I mean, what what do you think about this?
1: Look, they really blow the mind when you go back to the fact that uh, when I was at University of North Carolina, we gave gave Bill his six and seven millionth dollar. Julian, uh, the first two Tiger seeds. So everybody's familiar with Tiger Cubs, people that worked for Julian, then left, set up their own shop. But then there was this phenomenon where, uh, you know, Bill and, and Chase had, had basically worked for Julian for a few months. They, they came in late uh, in 99. The, sh- the, shop sh- the shop shut down in, in uh, first quarter 20. And he felt guilty. And so he said, I'll give these guys some money and called, it, called me up. I was at the University of North Carolina and said, hey, you guys have an emerging manager program, right? I'm like, Yeah. He says, I'd like you to give these fine young men a couple million dollars. I'm like, yes, sir and uh so tiger asia was born and and they did extraordinarily well um but then they got caught a little bit with some funny business around swaps and i actually try to live by you know i have a, a less nice word we'll call it the no jerk rule right um, mm-hmm. is another term for a male bodily part um, but anytime somebody does something even, and, and I, sh- I should wait till people are convicted, right? But you know where there's smoke, there's fire. So we we moved on, uh, turned out, right? Bill did get um, accused and basically said, if you ever land in Hong Kong, we will arrest you. Uh, so he never went to Hong Kong, so he never got arrested. But he did then convert to a family office. And, and for those who don't know, if you publicly announce that you are converting to a family office, it means you have violated securities laws, right? That is the code. And, and and there are a lot of big famous people who have converted to family office. And if you've watched the show Billions, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And it is code for, yeah, I was flying too close to the sun. The SEC said, I can not go to jail, but I can't take outside money anymore. And so you turn into a family office, But what he does is really, really profitable for the brokerage firms. And so they extend this this credit. And, you know, it's unfortunately a very common tale. Not not super common, but, but more common than you think. Where people accumulate very large positions of illiquid companies and pump the stock up. They clip incentive fees, and then they they feed the ducks. And there's a whole bunch of people from you know the Fidelity uh, foursome that that got kicked out uh, for doing that back in in the '90s uh, to a bunch of hedge fund guys. Um, so it's it's a sad tale. And and then the part that you and I were talking about that I think is funny is you know there's. Bill went to a lot of effort, and, and other people too, to defend him on character. And you know he was always a nice person to me when I when I knew him. But uh, he went out of his way to talk about you know how religious he was and how he had these foundations that gave away all this money to religious purposes. And it it just reminds me of that Shakespeare quote, right? The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Uh, when you have to tell everyone. How good you are that's what you were saying earlier then maybe it's not so true right just just be good act act good um but don't tell me how good you are it's one of those things i just kind of
0: start to notice like ov- over and over it's you know sometimes these people who are extremely concerned about like pr and their public image and doing things that are that they know are very popular or will win them a lot of points mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit of a red flag, uh, not not to say that people don't do things out of the goodness of their heart. And there are some people who just go out of their way to do great things. And, and but but sometimes, you know, like it, it reminds me of um, the the example that I was recently thinking of as a guy like Danny Sesta, for those of you who aren't yeah. in the in the crypto community. Right. There's a lot of kind of sketchy behavior going on, uh, you know, this project that he was involved in. Uh, and and he would do these things that were very popular with the community right if there was a hack you know he would kind of refund people out of his own money and people would take that as evidence saw oh, what a good guy but in reality you know that that was kind of you know maybe it was out of the goodness of his heart maybe it was out of an understanding that what everything that was going on wasn't 100% above board and it was almost like proactive pr management and and uh, there are other you know, pretty public figures that do stuff like this. And I used to view that as, wow, like, what an unbelievable good guy. Now I'm I remember, just a little more cynical. Like, what do you, what's your aim here,
1: friend? Yeah, I mean, I said, better to just do the right thing than tell everyone how great you are and let let people decide for themselves whether you're a good person or not a person by, by your character. You know, what I would say is, is character is, is, you know, how you act when you don't think anyone's paying attention. Right. And the other one is on this religious thing, it is actually a red flag for me. When someone is too pious and too in your face. I agree. That is just a, cause look a lot. I look, I'm a Catholic and, and the Catholic church is, is committed some terrible atrocities. I mean like horrific atrocities in yeah. the name of God and, and, You know, being pious. And so this idea that 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 can justify anything if if you have, you know, faith and it's just wrong. So and now we have, you know, the you know, we got the other cults, right? We have we have religious cults that that are bad, but now we have these other cults, these, you know, the the branch covidians, you know, the, the cult of science, and and then we got government cults. Right, I mean, there are people who are rallying around, you know, whatever the government says. I, I saw this crazy stat from, you know, Andreessen. Andreessen, Mark Andreessen, you know, the Do you think he's famous, tweeting Mark. this stuff out,
0: by the right? way? Do you think Mark, I, Mark Andreessen, his Twitter used to be like nothing. I and know. he used to tweet some stuff out, which was like, what? Now every tweet of his is fire. And I'm oh, like, it's unbelievable. I don't know.
1: And, and I, he must have some I, I don't know if he hired somebody or if yeah. it really is him. I mean, he is... A pretty amazingly intelligent and intellectual guy who I think could be this acerbic and and this maybe that's the wrong adjective, but but th- this uh, sarcastic and 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 nuanced. I, I think it could be him. And he has more time because he's kind of been stepping back a little bit. He's still busy, but um, but I love it. But he had this great chart that said, you know, the people that that trust or believe in you know the scientific community. Uh, by political affiliation, and it was basically a third, a third, a third, right? Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and it and it kind of went up and down and up and down. But then two years ago, it went like this, and now it's like 65 sixty five twenty, uh, Democrat Republican. I'm like, oh, that's that's a cult, right? That right there is that's not that's not thinking. That is, hey, I, I just absolutely believe whatever the the cult figure says and i'm just gonna you know not question it not actually do my own thinking um and and this is this is a big problem in investing right is belief and there's actually a book i think i think the title of called <laughs> called belief that says most people form beliefs the wrong way right they are given their belief they're told their belief either by their parents or by the media or by some authority figure and then they gather data to support that belief and they reject all data that is against that belief. And of course, social media now exacerbates that problem. But the way you should do a belief, or the way you should make an investment, is you should gather the data first, based on a hypothesis, evaluate the data objectively, and then make a decision, form a belief, move on. But you know, we do it we do it all backwards now.
0: You know, that's actually a something that's hardwired into humans biology. Um, and this was, this was something I learned in, in co- So here, here was a pretty instructive, um, just example that I, that I learned that like, I've never been, it's influenced the way that I think people form opinions in general. If you were to see a bear in the woods, right, you're hiking in the woods, you see a bear, you would run, right? And if I asked you why you'd run, you'd be like, well, duh, you know, I, I, I ran because I see the bear. My mind knows that that's dangerous. And then I run because I understand that it's dangerous. But that's not actually what happens at a neurological level. You've got two different sections of your brain, right? You've got like the limbic part of your brain and then you've got the the cerebral, like the cortex part of your brain. The cortex the higher order thinking. The limbic is like the animal base instinct, emotional kind of part of your brain. That actually evolved first and that reacts first as well because, you know, if you're in the wild, right, you need a very, very quick kind of emotional reaction. And then the higher order attention part of your brain that the cortex kind of kicks in. So in terms of actually what happens when you see a bear, because you evolutionarily need to react fast, the limbic emotional part of your brain registers a state of alertness. And then after that state of alertness, the higher order part of your brain starts thinking, why has, why do I, why am I in this state of being alert? And then you attach a reason to it. And I think that that's how people form opinions in general, right? You, you see something, you have an emotional reaction to mm-hmm. it. And then the, this part of your brain kicks in and you start thinking, why did I have that emotional reaction and so you attach good, Michael. So a narrative good. to it. Yep. So that's, that's, that's just a lot of, um, and I mean, that's super apparent in politics in general. Um, well, and there are all it's these your point,
1: these it's, it's a rationalization of a visceral reaction. Right, and, and that visceral, emotional, uh, physical reaction is the more pure reaction. It, it's 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 like the gut versus the brain. You know, yeah. if if you think about making decisions, uh, one of the best books I ever read about investing is probably on my shelf behind me, uh, called "The Great Boom Ahead." Not "The Great Boom." Ahead, I'm sorry, uh, "The Dow Jones Averages," and Dow is T A O, and it's about the merger of of ancient. Uh, Eastern Chinese philosophy and investing, and the the foreword says dedicated to the to those with the guts to trust their gut, and mm. you have to be able to to make those fast gut reactions based on your internalized kind of supercomputer, rather than getting it up here where now you'll rationalize oh I'm not going to sell that because you know the market just doesn't know what i know. No, 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 you're just wrong. Just move on, go to the next idea. Or um yeah, you know, there's just so many examples of it, but you have to use that that gut reaction, that limb. Uh, no, now i know, it's the limbic system.
0: It's just it's just interesting and uh they've you, you know, oftentimes too that that gut reaction, it's like people are actually really good at judging, especially other people. Um you know, in a in a really short period of time, is called yeah. thin slicing. And there's a really famous example in psychology. This guy Phineas Gage. He was a railroad worker, and he had this crazy accident where like this bolt went shot up through his brain, uh, th- like right into his head. And he didn't die, but it changed his personality and it cut off um, access to parts of the the limbic part of his brain. And um, it, it, I mean, a it completely changed his personality, but B. It was kind of it was kind of used as evidence that if you don't actually have access to that like emotional part of your brain, yeah. people are like, oh, if, it would be better if we were robots. But actually, the emotional part of your brain is a good balance. It helps you make better decisions. Net, net, uh, a lot of the time. So, so it's just hard to make decisions. But the the one thing I want to comment on this before we move on, market wise, is um, you know, we were talking about before we got on Carson Block, uh, and you know, if you look at equity markets in general, the indices are. I mean, there's a lot of pain out there in general. Like we talked about Netflix, uh, we should talk about Amazon as well. Like their earnings came out yesterday; they're down 10. percent I don't know. The, the market hasn't opened yet, but uh, you know, there's a lot of pain out there. Equity indices are finally starting to move in general. And I remember this quote from Jim Chanos uh, a little while ago, which is that people don't care about fraud on the way up, but they sure as hell do on the way down. And I think. I mean that just kind of makes sense, right? Uh, as 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 prices start to go down, people start to say why, and then a lot of this behavior that I think people cast a pretty blind eye to in this insane run up, right, since twenty twenty, is going to start to get investigated. So, you know, Bill Wong probably isn't going to be the only. Um, oh no
1: no no! And then this this is just the beginning. This is like this is like the Cisco admission that they basically fudged all their numbers in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right and. And and then the fraud came out about WorldCom and Enron, and this is just the first. And you know John Kenneth Galbraith talked about this, you know, a century ago. It's called the bezel, and the bezel, which is you know the amount of theft, embezzlement, uh, is is always there, right? There are bad people doing bad stuff all the time, and when times are tough, there's less. Because there's less activity and there's more scrutiny, to your point. Uh, but as things start to get better, the bezel rises along with it, and and it doesn't grow linearly; it grows exponentially. And so at the top, at the really ebullient part, nobody's paying attention because everything's awesome, and and the the, the bad people uh, get away with really crazy stuff which in hindsight, you're like, how did that happen? How did we let that happen? Well, because you weren't paying attention, but that moment that it hits your attention. You know, I, would, I would say this, like if you open a newspaper, we're gonna people are like, what's a newspaper? Well, okay. It's this thing. It was printed and, and you used to read it. If you open a newspaper and you don't have children, you don't see all the diaper ads. But the moment you have children, you see all those diaper ads. It's like, well, why, why, why did they just appear? No, they've been there the whole time. You just don't see them. And so the bezel then shrinks as people say, oh, well, that's a bad. oh, and that's a bad person. oh, and that's a bad. And look, we had the high, to, to another Chenos. Uh, we had the highest level of non-gap accounting adjustments in history mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Like, what? Gap. Yeah. Generally accepted accounting principles exist for a reason. Right, You're not supposed to be able to make up how you want to show things. I mean, it, I, again, I, I hesitate to, to pick on Elon because he is so beloved. But the lack of generally accepted accounting principles at Tesla is staggering. And that's not just Tesla. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of companies, some way worse, that just completely ignore the fact that there are rules to do accounting and they just ignore them. And there's all kinds of stuff that's been normalized through lobbying, right? Just corruption, like revenue recognition. And like, wait a second, why why should you recognize all the revenue if you haven't actually been paid? That that doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, or, or my favorite, my favorite is somehow... Employee stock option expense is somehow revenue, and I don't even understand how that works. Right? How did that work? Oh no no well, it's 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 cray cray. I mean it's it's like no don't no, that's actually an expense, but somehow it it shows up as as a positive. I'm like no that that's an expense. That is money going out of the company, but. You know, and there's a couple of things like that where you just shake your head and say, "No, that's not logical," but it will go away.
0: Yeah, I think it will as well. Uh, I want to switch tactics here a little bit and talk about U.S. GDP. Uh, so, you know, the big story, you know, coming out this week was that U.S. GDP unexpectedly contracted in Q1 of this year. And if you're, I mean, unexpected. I know. I know what you're going to say. Unexpectedly, but, uh,
1: what? I know. We've been talking I know. about this for a long time. I know, um,
0: I I know. Uh, they, they've got it broken out on this chart by different categories, right? So if you're following along with us on video, consumer spending, business investment, uh, housing, inventories, government spending, net exports. Net exports are kind of the big um, track here. And actually, there's a pretty wild chart here, which is, you know, U.S. trade goods. Um, this The, the balance of, of trade here was was pretty wild to me. I I, wait, I, I wait, guess- Like, I...
1: trade wars are easy to win. Uh, d- didn't didn't someone say that a couple years ago? What Wasn't that- we're supposed to not have any trade deficit anymore because we were going to win the trade war just by, you know, jacking up those tariffs.
0: I'm with you. I, I, I guess I had just assumed, I mean, this isn't like something that I pay a huge amount of attention to, but I guess I had just assumed, you know, that in the post-COVID world, we realized that our our supply chains were needed to be less efficient, more resilient. You know, we were moving away from lying on countries like China. And it's like, it has been a, st- I mean, just look at this chart. I mean, it's crazy how much we're still the the... The goods imbalance has just
1: continued to soar. Yeah, and and again, this this is and we may have talked about this in the past, but this is the Singapore story. You know, mm-hmm. Singapore is this isthmus, and they were they were convinced that the Japanese were going to come by boat and attack them. So they built these giant guns pointing out uh, at the end of the isthmus that would shoot the boats out of the water so they couldn't be attacked. And the Japanese sailed up and. Uh, or powered up, I guess it was a power ship, and saw the guns and like, well, I'm not doing that. So they parked and they hiked up around and came back down and conquered them from behind because they were all looking the wrong way. So the guns were pointed the wrong way. Um, And this is the same thing is we, the whole trade war was fighting the last war. It was as if, you know, it was all about us importing cheap goods. Oh, no, 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 no. no! The future is about us exporting to the largest consumer class in the history of mankind, right? There's 700 million middle-class people in China, biggest consumer market in the world. And so the idea that, that we would want to antagonize what could be the biggest source of profits for American companies to send stuff to the emerging middle class in China, which is just ridiculous. And and now China is, I think, doing this intentionally, like this whole lockdown nonsense and the kabuki theater about zero COVID, I think is to do exactly this, right? Which is to say, oh, I'm sorry, you still need our stuff, but you know, we're just not going to take any of your stuff right now. Because we're not, we're, we're willing to throttle back our economy. I mean, hard to believe they're actually willing to starve some of their their citizens, but you know, uh, crazy. Um, but I, I think this is all to create this Eastern alliance and to get more and more transactions in rem and B instead of dollars and. Yeah, there's so many people who you know Brent who we had on he like he says mark you're an idiot. China is not not ahead of us. They're 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 getting killed. I'm like, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. This to me yeah. looks like we're losing. But
0: it certainly looks like I will tell you what it looks like to me, which is just that the the system that's been going on uh you know has not broken yet, right? If anything it looks like it's accelerating, right? The system being the US is the then like, our chief export, right, is not Corn or whatever it is U.S. dollars, right? To other parts ha, of other amen. parts of the world, um, and it seems like that system is not broken. And you know, it's ironic about this as well, right? Is that while we are, you know, continue to do things that you would think should weaken the value of the dollar, to Brent's credit, right? The Dixie's at one hundred and three today, right? So the dollar is strength. And I know it's compared to other yeah. compared to other baskets and most of currencies. Just
1: the yen, right? Because the yen, right? The yen has just gotten absolutely clobbered. obliterated. You know, yeah. Yeah. From 110 to 130 now. And I mean it's it's crazy. I mean the yen the yen number is is absolutely insane. Uh and and that that look that that is going to be the thing that breaks. And I don't think people are paying attention to it like they should. But you know that is the biggest Ponzi in the world. Um you know debt to gdp over 220%. Bank of Japan owns 137% of gdp on their balance sheet. Just think about that for a second. More than 100% of the gdp in debt on the central bank's balance sheet. Well, who buys the debt from the central bank? They are the buyer of last resort. That is that is their name. So they are it is going to break and and it's going to break with the yen getting completely annihilated and some bad stuff's gonna happen but you know we'll, we'll cross that bridge when, it, when we get to it
0: So the reason I think it's worth highlighting GDP here so you saw a lot of headlines right this was uh, you know all over Twitter and mainstream media covered this you know as GDP goes down the stock market reacts positively. why and a I'm not re- necessarily convinced that those two things are correlated those moves but if I had to attach uh, a reason to why that might be, this is the whole, the classic bad news equals good news, right? If there really is, you know, to uh, Travis Kling has this great phrase, you know, everything is one trade and everything is trading on what the Fed and global central banks are going to do and interest rates are going to do, then I think, you know, a, what slowing GDP means is, A, it probably means inflation is going to be more transitory than people are accounting for right now. And it means that the Fed eventually is going to have to, in, a, in the face of a slowing economy, that gives them more leeway, right, to... Do what they always do, which is step in and cut interest rates. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, look we we've talked about this, and I actually yeah. did a, a presentation yesterday. You know, we do these around the world uh, presentations on a on a monthly basis, and and you know, yesterday was my my big day to to talk about this topic, which is you know, there's there's zero chance. And people say, "Mark, you can't say zero. I'm like, yeah, I can. I, I can say zero. I mean, there's zero chance there'll be 10 rate hikes this year. Zero. And, you know, I show this chart that says, you know, the market is absolutely convinced, like with 100% certainty that there's going to be a 75 basis point rate hike in May. Like, I'll take the under and I'll take any, anyone who wants to take the other side, I'll, I'll take it. Right. I, I will take the other side. I, I think I would not be surprised, especially given what just happened with GDP, that they actually back all the way off and say, you know what, we're data dependent, we're taking a pause. Now, I don't think their ego will let them do that. I think they're still going to do 25 basis points, Um, but 75, no, zero chance, no (laughs) way.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think it's, I think, look, I just, we've said this before too, I just do not admire the position that they are in right now. I do not uh and you know it's 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 funny because right I'm sure the two of the things that they look at right obviously there's there's a there's a lot they pay a lot of attention to credit markets in general, which are still looking there's a huge route in the bond market still looking relatively healthy just in terms of uh spreads and things like that uh indices are not still not that far off their all time highs right even though you have immense pain on these certain and but the names are getting bigger and bigger right, and amazon uh just they took a bath yesterday, yeah. Let's just call it what it is. Apple is single-handedly keeping uh, U.S. equity indices alive, yeah, right? It's all, that's got to be what financial it
1: is. engineering. I mean, the fact that people can't do math is unbelievable. I mean, the fact that all they do is borrow money at cheap prices and buy back shares is is frightening to me, but 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 that's it. Anyway, the, the point that, that, that is super scary that people really are just not paying attention to, this is 2001 all over again. And 2001 was the bad year. 2000 was not the bad year. 2000 was the beginning, right? March, we rolled over, you know, Julian shut his shop, a bunch of hedge funds went under, Tony Dye went out of business, anyone who was value, basically was was shunned, right? If you were a value manager, you were put out of business because it was going to the moon. And then March 24th, market rolled over and started to go down. And then the Fed came and said, no, 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 no. we'll we'll fix it, we'll save it. And there was this big counter turn rally almost back to the peak uh, by September. And then the shit hit the fan and the market fell 6% for the year, um, which is not that big a number. And then actually rallied again in January. Again, the Fed came out and said, no, 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 it's it's all good. Everything's fine. It reminds me of that Kevin yeah. Bacon scene in Animal House. Remain calm. <laughs> and then he's trampled into the, the concrete. And mm. and we we actually rallied. I can't remember what it was like, 6 or 8% uh, through February. And then bang. Then Cisco and all the fraud came out worldcom turned out to be a total fraud enron and and it was bad and and to your point it was the credit markets the credit markets exploded and and i'll give you an example of 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 why people should be afraid hyg is down double digits now that's the high yield uh, uh etf and there are a number of credits that are down significantly more than that and the one that i will I will now call this one of the events that we'll look back on um, and, and I think archegos and, and Bill is is certainly one but but Carvana, uh, what Carvana did the other day is, I, I
0: also saw this yeah. you no know, this
1: is this is crazy stuff. so Apollo, right? Now remember, Apollo is headed by a guy who's kind of part. Of the cabal. So he kind of gets special treatment and special stuff. And so they basically put debt into Rescue (laughs) Finance, into Carvana with special rights in the event of bankruptcy. Who said anything about bankruptcy? This stock is going to zero. I mean, There's no question in my mind that the equity is going to be extinguished and Leon et al. are going to own this company. And it'll probably be a great investment for them long term. But, man, if you are long that stock, get out. And there's a whole bunch of these, like Affirm and others, even Shopify. These hedge fund hotels, they're down a lot. And people say, oh, they can't go down anymore. Oh, no, yes, they can.
0: They can. They can. This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon, the world's leading blockchain infrastructure platform. Blockdaemon's mission is simple. Make spinning up a node so easy a five-year-old could do it, and so secure that any chief compliance officer in the world could sleep easy at night. In plain English, Blockdaemon allows anyone, whether you're a crypto-native fund, a financial institution, a DeFi protocol, whatever, to participate in crypto more safely. For some, that can mean participating in governance, it could mean gathering real-time and accurate data, it could mean generating yield through staking, Whatever it is, when it comes to crypto, infrastructure is edge, and there's simply no better edge offered than the one from Blockdaemon. Blockdaemon supports a range of services on over 50 protocols, and that's a growing list. They have multiple layers of risk mitigation that include regional and data center diversity, 24-7 human and automated monitoring, a full-service team of engineers to avoid technical difficulties, and things like slashing insurance. In other words, they literally make it foolproof. If your organization relies on real-time, accurate data that comes from blockchains, please, please, please click the link at the bottom of this episode and go check them out. Again, it's important. Got to click the link at the bottom, otherwise I won't get my credit. Yeah, I was gonna, I just wanted to get your your thoughts on this. Uh, you know, well, I, I saw this great thread from Chris Berninski, uh, you know, who I just, he's one of these guys in crypto. That every time I listen to that guy talk, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> that feels like yeah, a rational opinion. Great. Um, he's great. Uh, you know, he, he kind of compared, you know, the pain that we've seen in crypto thus far to, you know, some of these darling tech stocks. And yeah. honestly, the pain that we're seeing in the in the darling tech stocks is worse than the pain that we've seen in crypto, right? Crypto's 100%. down about forty percent from its all time highs. You know, some of these these like pandemic darlings are down. You know, if you look at, um, let's you know, take a couple. You know, Robinhood, Peloton, Zoom, TeleDoc. You know, we've been talking about these. The percentage that they're off it's like seventy nine percent, eighty-two percent, eighty-six percent, eighty-eight percent. Teledoc was up forty nine
1: percent yesterday in I know. one day. I know. Um, and, and that's the thing. Remember math. You know what the difference between down ninety and down ninety five percent is? Mm. You lost half your money. That's, that's a fifty percent drop to yeah. go from down ninety to down ninety five. And mm-hmm. and that's what's happening. To so these companies, yeah, I, I put up a chart uh, of, you know, I've been I've been on Peloton and Zoom for a long time, and they are the worst charts. Like if you pulled up a chart <laughs> and said, yeah. "I want to show you an ugly chart, like a chart that no one would ever touch," this mm-hmm. is it, right? A declining 200-day moving average, a declining 50-day moving average, a declining 20-day moving average. The price. Below all three of those on rising volume, you would run away, and yet there are still people who are like, "Oh, this is a value." I mean, this is crazy, and and I have I have respect for Kathy Wood. I'm I'm not a hater, right? I don't own the anti Ark ETF. Uh, She's had in Ark A R K K net positive inflows this year, despite the fact that that ETF is down 69% year to date, because people think they can catch the falling knife and that these stocks can only go up. And Teladoc is a perfect example. She bought Teladoc two days ago, right before the earnings announcement, and it went down 49% overnight. I, I, you know, hopium is not an investment strategy. Hope is a four-letter word in the investment business. Hoping that somehow these things are going to go back up because they were high before. We are in the bear market. We are in the tech rec 2.0. I agree. And it,
0: it feels like that in... In crypto as well like Mm -hmm. this is a this is a bear market and i like what we've been saying too i i actually do believe um i believe that this bear market is not going to be as bad as previous bear markets that we've seen in crypto but that doesn't mean it's not it's not a bear and from from what i've seen purely sentiment wise it and like other factors i I don't think that we've reached the bottom yet i would say um i just don't
1: well but but before when winter would come, we had, you know, the Fed with their Elon flamethrower out there melting the snow as it was falling down and, and it was just fine. Was just like a light mist. That's gone. They mm-hmm. don't have the ability to turn on the flamethrower because their, their gun is out of ammunition.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they should have reloaded, you know, in 2013 when they had the chance, but they didn't. And... Now they're stuck in a place where now they can't raise rates. Just no mm-hmm. chance they can raise rates because mm-hmm. we are we are probably in recession already. We are in winter for financial markets. And, and here's the thing that I am I am nervous about. You know, people say, well, oh, how bad can it get? I'm like, well, we've talked about it. Like the fair value, we had Tim on the show, right? The fair value of Bitcoin, which is Bitcoin as a proxy for everything, the fair value. It's 33, 34, 35k, whatever whatever the number is, um, okay. But the problem is you can go below fair value. You know things yeah. that happens all the time. So how bad could it get? Well, really hard for me to see going much below 30 because there's not a lot of people who bought a you know at it, it, that that time where we were running from 20 to 40. So just they're, they're, that, that seems like a pretty fair place to have a pause uh, from selling pressure. But the problem is, if things get really ugly, right, if, if more companies miss earnings badly, like Netflix and Amazon and others, and we still have the highest margin debt ever, and if margin debt leads to margin calls people will be forced to sell gold, bonds, and Bitcoin. And that's, that's the time when, when I get a little bit nervous. Um, now, long term, I like it because then I just get to buy more at a cheaper price. But in the short run, if you're levered in the crypto markets right now, I might, I might take some of that off.
0: Well, you definitely, I mean, you definitely just don't want to be a force seller in situations like this, right? right? That's the worst thing that you can be. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, yeah, I, I, I also think, especially when it comes to crypto, crypto is a very reflexive space and people don't have their valuation models yet where, you know, when... The P.E. ratio gets too out of whack when Buffett comes in and buys it up because it's on the cheap. I mean, there's a lot of relative valuation that goes on in crypto, right? Valuing Solana relative to ETH. You know, you hear, mm-hmm. well, ETH, ETH is worth X hundred billion. Solana is only worth, you know, 32 or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Like, therefore, you know, and those relative valuations serve you very well on the way up. But they 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 get you in trouble on the way down, too. Uh, I'm, I'm actually not super bearish though i because here's the the other thing the one thing that might be different a little bit for crypto this time is the the raw amount of capital that's looking for a home in the space definitely, and honestly definitely. It, that's that's it is there is still a tremendous amount of money looking for a home that has not in in the form of funds in the form of you know whatever that has not been deployed into the space no, that,
1: yet no that's probably. 100% true michael and and the the challenge though is is that might get delayed in the sense that mm-hmm. if if you're suddenly forced to cover margin calls in your other parts of your portfolio and institutions in particular, you know, we actually, you know, I, I shall remain nameless, but you know, have an investor that uh, has made a lot of commitments, you know, to to good good firms and and um, but you know, some stuff has happened in the public markets that that have gone down a lot. And so, you know, they, they now are looking to sell a piece of an illiquid asset to try to, you know, make ends meet. Um, like, please don't sell that, right? Because you're mm-hmm. going to take a big hickey at the wrong time. And I think there are a bunch of institutions that would love to uh, add here or, or or even get off zero, right? I told you 83%, I, I talked to 120 pension funds a couple weeks ago, 83% of them have zero. That is bad news and good news. It's like great news, actually. It means we're still so early. I
0: haven't heard this theory anywhere, but I, I'd be curious. Maybe one of the reasons why crypto is holding up relatively well, in my opinion, compared to some of these growthier tech stocks is maybe investors that were worried about Turbulence in the public markets, they did some of the selling that they were going to do mm-hmm. already. You know, uh mm-hmm. they like there this always happens, right? In these bold markets, people FOMO in like weak hands, big web two VCs and big, you know, macro funds that don't don't have a strong conviction or a thesis in the yep. space, but want to get some of the returns, they they buy in and then at the first sign of trouble, they kind of sell off, right? Yep. So I wonder if some of the selling has already occurred for crypto and that's why it's holding up. Relatively better than some of the stuff you see happening in.
1: I think in I think it's a, that's a really good insight, and I think it's probably yeah. right. And yeah, look, I, the 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 only risk that I see is this this margin call forced selling risk. Yeah, and I said if 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 you are watching this and you have leverage in your crypto portfolio. Take it down, right? And 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 you know, not to zero, but it it's like how much leverage would you put on your house? Would you put an 80% mortgage on your house? Sure. Four leverage? No, no, problem. Would you put 90? Ooh, 10 to 1? I don't know. Would you put, you know, 3% down? <laughs> 97% mortgage? Less good. Um now, the, the nice thing is in, in the housing market, you're not normally forced to sell, right? Even if your house goes down 10%, the bank doesn't call you up and say, you know, you're underwater, you need to pay off your debt. In the equity market or the crypto market, that prime broker is going to call you up and say, I need more money or I'm seizing your stuff. So I do I do think just people need to be cautious. Um, but but I, I'm... I'm, I'm still of the view, and we've been talking about this for a while and I've been wearing the, my cold storage, you know, crypto winter dual function socks Sox. for a while, that this is going to last for a while, right? We're nine months away from spring and winter is a cleansing time and there's some stuff that needs to be cleansed. There's some bad projects out there. There's some hucksters out there. Uh, not many. That's the, thing. that's the thing. That's cool is for all the nonsense of people saying, "Oh, it's all scammers." It's not all scammers. There are certainly scammers, but there's scammers in stocks, and there's scammers in bonds, and there's, you know, scammers in everything. But the vast majority of the people in this space are really good people, really smart people, really yeah. motivated people, really, you know, I just I just get energized every single day that I interact with the people in this space.
0: Yeah, I mean, look the the whole you know we've talked about this before but i feel like one common thread of crypto and probably just business cycles in general is ideas get tested something kind of works into the bull run and then you know when everything rolls over we're like ooh, there was something there but maybe we need to rethink a little bit of it Yep. you know one one thing that people are rethinking right now is just uh just yield farming in general uh yep. you know you saw compound this almost passed you know they kind of kicked everything they were some of the original pioneers of Yield farming in general, but now there are all these problems with bringing mercenary liquidity, and for the expense, you know, the cost of acquiring those customers, we're getting kind of shit customers. So, mm-hmm. how do we think about longer-term incentivization? Just there's like a lot of interesting innovation going on. I want to get your, I want to get your take on on two more stories. Here is one that if this was a bull market, this would have been this gigantic story, and everyone would have been talking about right. it. And you know, diamondized to the moon. Fidelity has now integrated into their 401k plans the ability to include Bitcoin. That is just a monster story that uh, didn't get as much attention as I feel like it deserved. And already, you kind of have, uh, you know, you've got the labor department, you know, saying they have grave concerns over the the 401k plan for Bitcoin. And you know, these the labor department is they're responsible for regulating those 401k plans for Americans, and they cite market volatility and all that.
1: Of course, they have grave concerns because. The CEO of Bitcoin was unavailable to contribute to their super PAC. Whereas the CEO of BlackRock and Vanguard has contributed a shit ton of money to their super PAC. And actually, this is crazy. This is just crazy. The CEOs, I don't know if it's CEOs, but someone in those two organizations actually sits on the committee that drafts the laws. I mean... That is that is absolutely insane. I mean, complete insanity. And so, of course, the ETF and mutual fund businesses do not want you to transfer your money out of their beloved ETFs and mutual funds into Bitcoin. In look, the 401k was created. In the Tax Act of 1986, which had nothing to do with taxes, it had everything to do with shifting from defined benefit to defined contribution. It saved companies 35% straight to their bottom line into the management company, I mean, the management's pockets, and the average person got screwed. They used to have a pension where you actually got a benefit. Now, You, who have, most people have no idea how to manage money. And that's not a criticism of them. They're good nurses and good doctors and good lawyers and good business people. They're not investment people. They used to have professionals managing their pension. Now we're supposed to do it ourselves. And we're given seven choices, stocks and bonds, no hedge funds, no private, no alternatives, no diversifiers. It's just a transfer of wealth from the working class to the elite class. And this is a horrible, horrific example of how ridiculous it is. One of the true leading lights of the industry, Fidelity, is saying, you know what, this is real, and this is important, and this is a true diversifying asset that can add value and protect people. And then you got a government agency that is paid by the people sucking fees out of the out of the, the people's wallets, say no. It's it's like the banking response, the banking regulator response to people who pay people to convert from fiat into digital assets and deposit it and get paid interest. What's wrong with that? Oh, well, what's wrong with it is the money's coming out of the banks. So the banks pay the regulators to. Overregulate insanity. Yeah. I you know I feel really I, strongly about this one, by the way.
0: I, I can't tell. i I agree I also, you know what's just uh, made me think I, I've been having more conversations with people. and one of the other things that makes me pretty convinced there's a bear market is because the last eighteen months when crypto was the new sexy thing again, and Everyone's like, oh, you know, suddenly BlockRox seems like a really good idea. Crypto is really interesting. Oh, I didn't understand it before. Now I get it. And now when I have conversations with my friends outside of the space, it's like, okay, it's a scam again, isn't it? Right. You know, and, right. and exactly. that, <laughs> that idea always unwinds, right, when when the price moves the other direction. Yep. And, uh, you know, this culminated, I had this this uh, this conversation with this guy who works in, in finance the other day. And I, I don't know, it, it, uh, I, I think part of this, too, is that so many people... This is one of the most difficult things about trying to educate someone on on crypto in general. Everyone says, "Well, if I can't understand it in 5 minutes, then we'll, we'll, just explain to me like I'm a 5-year-old." Like yeah. they want that like one 30-second explanation that's just going to make it all click. And after 4 years of this space, I just don't think it exists. I just yeah. I just don't, I think you need to invest a certain amount of time to understand it yourself. Yeah. And that's too bad. That's not going to work for everyone. Eventually,
1: Eventually, people stop questioning things. People right? spend like, more time playing Candy Crush than investigating how they should invest their capital. Right. Full stop. So, <laughs> you know,
0: when I, when I see stuff like this, I know there's still an, an enormous amount of mistrust at an institutional level. Some of it probably is their misaligned incentives, right, and in how the current system works. But the reality is, it's it's unrealistic to ask. I, it's unrealistic, whatever. It just doesn't have people people yeah. in place about, they just aren't gonna put the time in to learn because why would they? Um, so I don't know, but it's, it's a huge story, right? This so, too
1: shall pass though. This too shall pass. Well, yeah. it just, I mean, look- you know, people, are gonna, like, be, people are gonna be forced out of necessity to catch up just like they were, look, there was a time in this country where people had bonds in their retirement account. That's it, no equities, no international equities, no nothing, just bonds. And there's actually a cover story in 1981 on on Time Magazine, you know, the death of equities. Quote, no self-respecting fiduciary should ever own equities again. That might have been the best time ever to buy equities after the (laughs) the previous 13-year bear market um, Uh from 68 to 81. But, you know, that's the way the world works. So people will do the work and they will get educated. And many have, right? There are lots of people who have done the work, um, myself included. I, I was a skeptic at the beginning and it actually took me too long, right? It took me years. It should have taken me weeks or months, but it took me years to actually find the time. But I didn't find the time. I made the time. It's like exercise. You don't find time to exercise. You make, yeah, you make time, time to exercise. You don't find time to do research. You make time to do research.
0: I have a question for you. When you, what what was the, I have I have a theory that there are two types of, uh, people, people who enter crypto at the beginning of bull markets and the end of bull markets. And I, like Jason and I entered at the end of a bull yeah. market. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it just cost us like two years of yeah. of like yeah. really buying in and fully, believe, because by the time I like committed to this yep. space and was like, I'm going to, I, I just watched it go down for two years and yes. all of these yes. ideas get decimated yes. and it just i think it made me a little bit more skeptical than some of my like friends yeah. who got in at the beginning of a bowl they just got in yeah. and then just watched everything work
1: yeah for two well, years. you're gonna laugh is is you're right right depends when you get in but but then your reaction depends on your zodiac sign all right. I'm a Capricorn. What does that mean? Okay. Now, see, now that yeah. now that's weird because, see, you, like me, mm. I'm a bull, right? My birthday is mm. coming up. Um, uh, you should have been like me because my wife's a Capricorn and my son's a Capricorn. Mm. And it's like bullheaded, right? I mean, just the ram and and uh, Aries and Capricorns, the goat, and, and that stubbornness of when— in a bear if you come in at the top and you're in a bear market and everyone's telling you how freaking stupid you are. I mean, I took immeasurable shit in 2018 and 19 from people on Twitter. You said this was great. You said this was awesome at 10,000 and now it's 3,000 and you're a freaking idiot and you cost me so much money. One of the best days, I won't say of my life, but one of the best days of, of the past couple of years is. Uh, I woke up and I had this notification on Twitter from uh, Mark Cajotes, who I have incredible respect for. Love Mark. One of the great investors of, of all time. And he's like, you know, Yusko, I I love this guy. He was so convicted and so right. and And y'all need to wake up and give him credit. I'm like, damn, thank you. I mean, that meant a lot to me because- yeah, it it was hard. Yeah, you stuck through it. When you're being told you're an idiot, but but I'm a bull. So the more you tell me I'm an idiot, the the more right I think I am. Which is we call interesting.
0: that a we call that a double down.
1: Right. Double down it's, is a classic like, strategy of,
0: like, of Mike Ippolito, I will tell you that. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Um,
1: when when I was applying to colleges, I uh, I picked the schools and I I told my dad and uh, one of them was Notre Dame. He says, oh, why would you apply there? You'd never get in. Like, what, <laughs> what? That that? he did intentionally because he knew that that would make me get in, and sure enough, and uh, oh, I and, I and I called him out on it one time. I said, Did you really have that little faith? in me? no, Mark, I knew exactly how to make you work harder. I'm like, Oh, damn it, it was mm. manipulated,
0: yeah, so. in a good way, though, for positive, and, oh, reasons, no, for, for
1: love, said, and in okay. and, and a good way, but it was just so. I mean, he said it so matter of factly, oh, you'd never get in there.
0: That's really funny. Um, all right, Mark. Well, that's unfortunately all the time that we have, uh, this week, but this was a lot of fun as always. And I will see you same time next week. Cheers.